This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Before we get started with today's episode, we just wanted to let y'all know that if you're interested in trying audiobooks or you've been eyeing an Audible membership, you can get two free audiobooks when you sign up for a free trial at bookriot.com slash audible. Most free trial offers for Audible only give you one download with your 30-day trial, but we're giving you two. Audiobooks are a great way to work more reading into your life, whether it's during your commute, while you're cooking, while you're at the gym, or whatever. So go to bookriot.com slash audible to sign up for your free trial and get two free audio books today. That's bookriot.com slash audible. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show where for 300 episodes, we've been talking about what's new, cool, and we're talking about the world of books and reading. This is episode 300. I guess technically we've been doing it for 299 episodes at this episode (laughs) 300. We're recording on Monday, February 18th. 2019. I'm Jeff O'Neill, and as always, or as as the large preponderance of the time, I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you notionally from BookRiot.com, since it's an idea as much as it's a place. <laughs> I feel like maybe we should save the confetti cannons for the end of the episode, when we will have successfully podcasted <laughs> there you go. episodes. <laughs> I wouldn't trust myself with a confetti cannon. No? No. Any kind of cannon. Even literary, I wouldn't trust myself with. What about a hot dog cannon? Absolutely not. The oh, temptation to shoot bad. it into your own mouth is too um, <laughs> is too high. You know, this, for some reason, is um, bringing up memories of being a teenager in the mid '90s when potato guns were a thing. Oh yeah. Like why? Why? Anyway, well, noted. The part you of can... the world we grew up in that was a thing. I would <laughs> that's say true. it definitely was. I don't. Maybe that's a thing teenagers still do. Just I'm, I, I'm not we sure. Didn't, we didn't have the internet back then. We got bored. Yeah. I I, I just don't know. It um, was a thing to shoot potato guns at like mailboxes and people's cars, right? And, and accidentally signages. at your friend. Um, well, so noted, Jeff. No cannons for you. No, can, um, please don't. Please don't. Um, well, well, just these are notional confetti cannons anyway. And, and for fun, as a fun way of commemorating um, 300 episodes, we've got swag that maybe you'd be interested in, kind of one-off stuff um, that we asked for some feedback from you guys on. You gave it to us. Uh, you go to bookrat.com slash business fingers, and you will see T-shirts, mugs, tank tops. You can get basically something that's commemorating the 300 episode in the Book Riot podcast that says business finger and then sh- business fingers and then show title. Sort of an in-joke thing for those of you who like the show. You know, you want something to wear, um, maybe as a, a secret sign as you're walking around the, your life. If there's other Book Riot podcast listeners out there, you go check that out. So it's the same design you can get on a bunch of different stuff, um, and it's pretty fun. And uh, we made it thinking, rather than do like a big whatever, you know, retrospective, uh, how we got here, let's do something kind of goofy, um, honoring the goofy parts of the show as well. Rebecca put this all together. Uh, is there anything else you should think people should know about it right now? No, I mean, the so we're, this is run on, we're using a new platform for this called TeePublic. And when you go to bookriot.com slash business fingers, the default item that you'll see there is a t-shirt. But as you scroll down, you can put it on a as Jeff was saying, like a tank top or a baseball tee. There are a bunch of different styles for whatever, um, you know, body shape you're trying to dress and feel good in, or you can get a sticker for your laptop or a notebook or whatever. I got a laptop sticker. As did um, I. 
yeah, that's a thing that I do. You can put it on a coffee mug. So if you're looking, you're thinking like maybe a t-shirt's not for me. Scroll down. You can put your funny business fingers, book riot commemorative item on uh, on whatever. It's pretty cool to be able to you know toggle it around and put it on mm-hmm. different items. And all thank right. you all for hanging thank with us. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I, I don't know what to say except thank you. I, I don't know. There's really we've done we did a little more retrospective, like a hundred and two hundred. Mm-hmm. All of that still applies. I really don't think anything has changed in terms of our our appreciation and understanding um, for the show. And the thing that always strikes me is, again, I haven't gone back to listen to episode one since like oh, no. the fourth week, but the format hasn't changed. Um, I think we've learned some things about how we want to run this show and things we want to do. Um, that stuff has evolved over time. I, you would hope it would. Um, but uh, I, I think we've got another 300 in us. I, it's I hard. certainly hope so. Yeah, it's hard to see um, what would happen that we wouldn't keep doing it. So we're going to keep chugging along. So thank you guys so much. One of the reasons we could do 300 of these is yes, we've got sponsors. Mm-hmm. And this one, I, I've had my eye on this for a million years and I have to confess, I, I haven't picked it up, but I did watch um, the Netflix series it is based upon a couple episodes last week, The Umbrella Academy, written by Gerard Way of the band My Chemical Romance, and art by Gabriel Ba, a Brazilian comics artist also known for his work on Hellboy, and Ba's twin brother Fabio Moon also worked on that. The Umbrella Academy debuted with Apoc- The Apocalypse Suite in 2008, and it won the Eisner Award for Best Limited Series. The second miniseries, Dallas, followed in 2009, also nominated for an Eisner Award. So here's what it is. There's a group of, on a, uh, oh, I can't get to get the date, the date wrong, but someday in 1989, 43 virgin births, well, not virgin, 43 women give birth to kids they weren't pregnant with when the day started. What? And basically, I don't want to give too much away. And then there's an eccentric billionaire that started to collect them. He, you know, he was going to take them under his wing. They'll come to live in this house. And I'm not sure how much of this spoilers, but the seven we've met so far in the first episode of the first one, I, I guess you can talk about what happens in the first episode, is they've got special abilities. And it's, I, I think it was a cross between like the, from X-Men and Watchmen. Like there's these teenagers that have powers. It's a darker world. I think it's a little bit zanier. It's got a heavy dose of whimsy and weirdness in it, almost like like if Wes Anderson and Guillermo del Toro collaborated on a comic book series. I think this is something like what you would get. Um, it's a lot different. There's a lot of mysteries involved. It's beautiful. Um, and the comics themselves look fantastic. And I don't, I don't know if the comics and the TV show are related at all. But if you like comics and you're interested in superhero stuff and even superhero adjacent, it's not straight down the middle. I think this would be really something interesting for you to pick up. I'm going to pick up the comic because now I'm in the thing of like, well, how did it really go in the comic? Is all that stuff going on too? So that's the Umbrella Academy by Gerard Way and Gabriel Ba. That sounds like fun. It is. It is fun. And also here's another thing. O'Neill's Razor, just, just to put, just to, these are mini series. The first one's a miniseries, so it's complete within itself, and it's all out. So you can go Ooh, wonderful. and go check it out, and then you want to pick up more, then you can. Um, even the comics I love, like Saga, I've fallen off because I don't know when they come out. And I can't. But this one you can, you can take kind of season by season as we go. For those of you who followed along, there is an update to O'Neill's Razor. Do you want to hear what it is? I'm anxiously awaiting. TV series. Oh. 
really? You're not going to start I'm, a TV series I'm until it's done? It. I'm considering it. Oh, Jeff. We're going to maybe have... It's okay. You, no one has to follow along. Each, you know, no. Take from O'Neill's razor what you will. This is for everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. I this know is, it's not an edict. <laughs> it's, no, it's no long... You know, O'Neill's razor will not cut you if you don't follow mine exactly. But... So I saw the, the news this morning that Jessica Jones and The Punisher got canceled on Netflix, you know, kind of without a... And all the Marvel shows on Netflix, which I've watched all of those. I think I've watched all of those. Uh, I didn't watch um, Iron Fist. And they got canceled, and there's not going to be a closure to it, and it's just kind of... I hate that. I kind of mm. want... There's a part of me... You don't want to get ghosted. I don't want to get ghosted. That's exactly right. And I'm just not sure. Now, something like Brooklyn Nine-Nine where it's episodic and there's not really an over like if Brooklyn nine, nine, well, it's goal almost did end. If that ended, then I'd be all right. Like I wasn't waiting to find out like you there for on an episode by episode basis, but a TV show, which has a long arc, like I'm so glad I never got on the game of Thrones train, right? Because you had to wait forever. And, and the TV show, forget about the book. That's a whole different thing. Um, it's really tough, but I, I'm wondering, I'm just, I'm just, just I'm just wondering. Out there. Thinking so about it. For those All of you, right. maybe that's the biggest uh, revelation of episode 300 <laughs> is that that's coming up. You there. know, I'm really happy that the first actual news story of episode 300 is a happy one. Yes. It is a happy update to a frustrating tale from yeah. that we've been following now for a while because it first developed back in July. But the long story short is that the library in Andover, Kansas, which had uh, received a challenge from a community member um, regarding the books George, Lily and Duncan, and I Am Jazz, which are children's books that feature trans characters. Um, that person wanted to have them removed from the library. And when she uh, was not given that response by the board, she appealed the decision and asked that those books at least be moved to the adult section. Um, the library's board of directors met last week. Um, this story that we're looking at is from February 13th, and they decided in a six to one vote that the books will stay and that they will stay in the children's section. Um, all of the board members read the books before the meeting. Uh, they said that it is their policy to remain neutral and to provide a, a variety of viewpoints to the public, even for children, and that the matter is closed. They will hear no further challenges or complaints about these books moving forward. I think this is about the best result we could hope for here. Mm -hmm. uh, kudos to yeah. the Andover um, Kansas Library Board. Um, I thought... This is what we want to see. I guess yes. I would prefer if people didn't challenge these kinds of books in these situations, but we have a process for these things to happen, and it looks to me like it worked. You know, this is a feature, mm -hmm. not a bug, of a library that these things are there. Um, the Laughing appealed, also got defeated, and issued a statement. And just the part that my appeals to the Andover Library Board have been based on research and science, and that's where I stopped reading that particular claim. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, no, but congratulations to this community and thank you. Good job. Thank you. Thank you so much for your efforts here. Uh, I know yes. that's not easy to do. Uh, that yeah, not easy, especially as we were uh, talking about in a place, a, a small town in the middle of Kansas. Not mm -hmm. a great, um, not an easy place to do this kind of work. Um, good job, librarians there and the you library know, board of directors. That's one thing that is helpful to remember. For those of us who live on coast that work in books, um, there are a lot of front lines when it comes to books and reading. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, 
the school libraries, public libraries might be the frontiest of front lines because it's every, the, the, the front line is everywhere, right? Like the no man's land where you're, you're trying to guard this stuff is everywhere. Um, literally I'm working on a story for annotated. That's not, I don't want to give it away, but a similar idea of bringing the front lines to, to other kinds of places and spaces. And it's easy to forget when we talk about, you know, what pub, the publishing industry is doing that it doesn't necessarily, the Venn diagram is not a, a circle with what libraries are doing, what teachers are doing um, all over the country in all kinds of different spaces. Um, so I'm glad to, to talk about that story and glad to see the outcome and really, really um, admire the work that goes on there. Cosine. Speaking of, uh, speaking of coastal Oof. battlefields, um, quite a week in the world of Amazon and it's, it's book related because it is Amazon, which I think Amazon meets Rebecca's definition of a book retailer. I'm not sure. I don't have the def- I don't have the dictionary definition in front of me of what a book retailer is, but I'm guessing since they sell, you know, yes. something like 60% of all books in America, they would qualify. They do qualify. Also they began as a book retailer. Mm-hmm. I don't sure. know the ins and outs of Amazon all the way now, but I do know they continue to use books as a loss leader, so that leads me to believe that books are an essential part yeah. of Amazon's business model. Yes. They meet the bookseller threshold. Okay, good, good, good. I'll just, I'm going to mark that. Let me get my paper. Right Great. Down. All right. <laughs> right down there. Got it. Okay. Um, so insofar as there's a big Amazon story, I think it is a book story, right? I mean, we have, I, I think it, well, we're doing it. So I guess it crosses whatever our defini- definitional threshold show title. The book story uh, meridian. Yeah, right. Book story meridian. <laughs> um, basically, Amazon has pulled plans for its second headquarters that was going to be in Long Island City in Queens uh, because of opposition from, mm-hmm. I don't know, the community, a whole, a whole cadre of opposition. I love New York. I consider myself kind of a New Yorker in abstentia, <laughs> right? emeritus mm-hmm. maybe. I have great fondness. I care about what happens to this city. Um, though I'm not, I don't follow New York news on a daily basis. And I have to say, I was very surprised to see that this actually happened. Um, I don't know if I'm glad or not. It's not, I don't have skin in the game. I don't live in Long Island city. I don't live in Queens. I'm not really sure. I, I don't know enough about it to say whether or not I think this is a big mistake or a great win, but I do think it's notable that Amazon got run out of the capital of corporate America. I think, think that framing is super fascinating to me. Um, but I don't know what else to do with it at this point. Do you, Rebecca? You know, I think it would be a different story if Amazon had gotten run out of Manhattan. Oh, okay. Like, um, there's a note here, like in this top, the top line of this piece from The Verge talks about concern, a lot of the concerns being related to what the influx of these particular yeah. jobs would be doing in a place like uh, Long Island City in Queens that's already facing really fast gentrification. Yeah. Um, and the impact of gentrification on a community is really different from, you know, just building another giant corporate headquarters in the middle of Manhattan. Um, I think that that's, I think that's an interesting question. There's also really, um, it's noted further down in this piece that the plans for this move into Queens were largely hashed out in secret, Mm. um, that the, like the deal was done between New York, which I'm assuming I'm reading here that it was concessions that New York agreed to give Amazon to entice the company to move in. It sounds like maybe that happened at the state level. Um, but that local lawmakers in 
queens were not looped in. Um, there were Amazon had promised two point five billion dollars in investment. There were incentives to create jobs, and so this seems like a disconnect, perhaps, between some of the folks at the higher levels of decision making and the people with boots on the ground in in local lawmaking. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting to see this story break in the same week that um it was that the news broke that Amazon paid zero dollars in I federal taxes last I... year and got like a floppity jillion dollars in rebates. Um which raises like I think it makes it really tough to yeah. sell the notion that Amazon is going to be good for your local community when they're not going to pay <laughs> taxes that support the kinds of programs that uplift members of local communities and and make life better for people. So jobs, yes, but at the cost of, um, you know, not paying into infrastructure functionally. Mm -hmm. Um, I am interested in how this is going to proceed, especially given that it says Amazon is not planning to continue pursuing a location for a second headquarters. They have some other... I thought other... that was fascinating too. Right? Like maybe they know it's a really tough sell. Yeah. Um, like how I, I've been trying to noodle on, okay, if I, if I worked at Amazon and it was my job to try to convince a city to bring us in, how would I do it? Especially given this story and all of the nasty stuff about not paying any taxes. Mm. Um I don't know how you spin that in a way that looks compelling. I don't either. And we were, I think I was having a conversation on the insider Slack or the contributor Slack that we have for book, I don't remember which about where do you go? Like what city? I know there's a lot of the cities were in the running, but also a lot of the season running had um, nascent um, issues with Amazon Mm -hmm. coming in for just forget about the tax breaks for a second, which I don't think you can, but just for this part, dealing with that many people coming in all at once. Yeah. And what it does to home prices, what it does to infrastructure, what it does, especially if they're getting big tax breaks, what it does to the, the services that, that local and state governments provide. It is interesting that the worm seems to have turned to some degree um, from where it was. And again, this is my mind as an observer, so I could be wrong about this podcast at bookwright.com if you know something more about this than I do, which you probably do, on having a big business come to your town and it being great for the city. It, especially at this scale all at once. Like it's one thing if your business grows up over time and you get used to it and like you don't negotiate a tax break. I think these, these, these tax breaks that companies negotiate with local governments are super bad. Mm-hmm. I really don't like them. It's a zero-sum game where you cut, that's, the table stakes are now that to get a company to come in, they're going to negotiate lower tax rates, which no individual can do. I don't know why a business should be able to do this. I don't know if there's some constitutional thing that would make it, you know, where we could outlaw this, like that, you, that companies cannot negotiate tax breaks. Like, is there? Any, I feel like there might be a Fourteenth Amendment equal protection under the law situation that individual could file. I don't know, but from just from my gut says this doesn't seem like it's something that a company should be able to do is to negotiate tax breaks from the government to say we're going to come here, come here, or don't come here. If you want to come here so bad, then come here already. And that you're right, Amazon has money; they can pay all these stupid taxes that they're trying to get out of. They can pay it. Just pay it. Um, again, it's. I read an article. I'm not sure if it's the same one you're referencing. This is not tax evasion. The, the, maybe the more galling thing is it's completely legal what Amazon has done um, in terms mm-hmm. of tax avoidance. And companies do this. You, you want to minimize legally the amount of tax you can. I guess what I'm saying is I think this these tax breaks you give giant companies for coming to your city, 
shouldn't be a thing. Now, I don't know if that's illegal. Maybe that's community pressure. Maybe it's state and local law. I don't know. Um, but I'm not sure. And Long Island City, I haven't been there in a long time. Long Island City really grew up and gentrified quickly while we were in New York over, you know, the 2000 to 2015. And I can imagine that, you know, there's basically two, well, there's, there's quite a few subways go there, but that many people that I don't know. I think if I were Amazon, I don't know really what they're trying to do. I don't believe, I don't necessarily believe any of their communications about what they want to do with these cities. So I don't know. I'm guessing that they, the talent pool, they can recruit people to New York. There's, there's a lot of media and other stuff going there. They want to have contact with, if I'm striking HQ two in New York and I'm going to pull in 20,000 people, I think I would strongly consider like not the town, but like the, the thing that Hershey's did in Pennsylvania, like a company town, like start one from mm-hmm. scratch somewhere. Sure. You know, like, can you, I don't, I, I don't know. Like then you then you have the skin of the game of maintaining and making sure the schools and infrastructure are there for your employees, because your employees are sort of synonymous with citizens. Um, it wouldn't be terrible if one of these places was in, say, Philadelphia, because a lot of people that work for Amazon are Democrats. But politically, that's another thing I would think about uh, if I were doing this. Um, but I, do, I don't know. I just think it's interesting that I always think there's turns against people, um, you know, that the worm has turned. It feels to me like this is also something about Amazon itself, not just a specific plan Amazon has. Maybe that's what I'm feeling in my gut, too. I'm not sure if that's accurate, but I have that feeling about it. Yes, I feel the the same way about that, that I can't separate the Amazon uh, wanting to move into a place and trying to spin it as being really good for the people who already live there at the same time that we know that they got the massive tax breaks that they got and mm-hmm. that they seek those kinds of deals and arrangements. Um, that like, There was a, a tweet came across my timeline this week where someone was like, yes, I would love um, Amazon to pay more taxes so that everything I buy from them can be more expensive. And I think that um, this story combined with the stuff about the taxes could lead to um, maybe a new step in the discussion about Mm. where Amazon lives in the consumer ecosystem. I don't know that it will for sure. Um, But these two things occurring together does create the opportunity for a conversation that might push consumers a little bit further into the place of um, considering what what you are the practices you're supporting when you buy from Amazon and I say that as a person who has a prime membership you right. know like I um understand that I participate in the problem yeah. uh, by ever buying from Amazon but I do think that there's room to have this discussion about um you know ex- exactly how difficult and problematic it can be especially when we do have lots of local businesses that are struggling because of Amazon and those local businesses be they bookstores or hardware stores or whatever it is um they do pay taxes that support yeah. local infrastructure and that right. you know go into um healthcare and welfare and all of the public supports that we need to keep communities running mm-hmm. um, looking directly at how that occurs and how those those local businesses that do support infrastructure are being uh, either weeded out or are really struggling because of Amazon and Amazon is not putting money in that makes up for yeah. it um, is an important thing to be looking at. And even, even beyond, or not beyond that, but in addition to that is that the, a small business does, just doesn't have the clout to negotiate with the government. Right. Like that Amazon does. And there's something about that, like that a business of a different size has ability to negotiate with the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that you like unlock that at out, a certain that, level. That feels right. beyond the line of what I feel like, you know, sort of a democracy should be about. But mm-hmm. again, I'm not an expert in this. 
Um, I'm sure the law is complicated as always is, but that's what my gut is saying. It's like, I really don't like giant companies negotiating with cities to get special rules for them. You know, whatever rules everyone applies to everyone else, obey those. Maybe we have to change those that everyone has to apply to. But the negotiation of special taxes for large businesses really doesn't. I, I don't love it. Um, let's do our next sponsor. We have another Amazon story that we don't really know how to talk about, but we're going to do a drive-by because I feel like not talking about it. I don't know. Is Both are bad, but we'd rather talk <laughs> about it. The Night Tiger by Yangtze Chu is a propulsive novel and coming-of-age stories of a... Uh, um, uh, of a young woman in 1930s Malaysia searching for a place in society that would rather keep them invisible. Kirkus says, Cho has written a sumptuous garden maze of a novel that immerses readers in a complex, vanished world. That's a star review from Kirkus. Booklist calls The Night Tiger a work of incredible beauty, astoundingly captivating and striking. A transcendent story of courage and connection coming of age of a young woman in 1930s malaysia the night tiger goes on sale went on sale february 12th that's the night tiger by yangtze chu thanks to them for sponsoring the show okay um hmm. well you've seen the story about jeff bezos and his infidelity and some of the behaviors that have been uh, that have come to light. Boy, I'm choosing my words carefully um, about what's going on. Um, I guess I'll put a link to the show notes because we don't really want to talk about the details. Basically, Bezos was having an affair with at least one woman, I guess, and some of his behaviors and communications with that woman were explicit, <laughs> explicit, and then also be, were intercepted by another, a third party who wanted to do things with those pictures. And Bezos had a um, post on Medium, um, basically saying that AMI, the parent company of the National Enquirer, was trying to extort him for those images and communications. And rather than be subject to extortation, ex, uh, he basically laid it all out, what has happened, what the pictures were, where, you know, what the situation was. And it's a wild story that I think at some point will make a really good book, probably, because there's some accusations that the people involved in intercepting those were related to state governments of various kinds. Um, if I have this right, that Bezos is the woman he was having the affair with, her brother is connected to Roger Stone somehow. <laughs> Which just once you get into once you mention Roger Stone, mm -hmm. you just are so you're in this world that I'm still trying to play catch up with, frankly, in the political realm. And that's the story. And I guess we put on the table to say, is this a story that that exceeds that goes beyond the the tawdry stuff that can happen between people and consensual relationships and adultery? Is there anything else here that we want to talk about except to say we saw the story and maybe that. We don't want to talk about the story yeah. anymore. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know how it connects to the world of books and reading other than that Jeff Bezos has the job that yeah. he has. Um, I've been thinking about this. Like if he were an author, if he were someone who works in publishing um, and he was essentially being blackmailed, yeah. I don't know that we would be talking about it on the show. Um, I don't think it's really a story like for as tawdry as it is. I don't think it's really a story at all 
except insofar as Jeff Bezos is who he is, and apparently that this is connected or might be connected to like members of government and Roger Stone and all of yeah. that. That like it's the scale of it um, is notable, but the the personal details of it so far, like infidelity, is what it is. Um, not cool for anyone to cheat on their partner. Mm-hmm. But as far as we know, the the images that he sent were sent consensually, you know, from yeah. him to a willing partner. Um, and this this makes him the in this way, like he was a bad guy in the cheating, right. but he is also the victim of apparent blackmail. And so choosing to lay it all out on the table and release him himself is, or, you know, put it all out there is a way to control the narrative and take some of the power back from mm-hmm. um, from people who were people or entities or it's a, just a bonker story, I think. Uh, maybe John Kerry Rue can take this up next when he gets tired of... Um, well, who of, knows, right? I mean, like, like uh, maybe is it just, does it just so happen that Roger Stone's connected to the brother? Like, I guess it's possible people in power have... It's a lot... The, the networks are a lot tighter than you might think. I don't know. You know, it's one of those stories. I think anything could be possible, but probably didn't happen. You know, I I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. From what we know so far, I think this is a story about really human, sometimes gross behaviors Mm -hmm. that it's uh, that are painful for people on all sides of it. Um, And some of it is illegal blackmail, you know, if that's what's going on here Um, that got drawn out into a really large sphere because of the people that are involved. But I don't, I don't think this is a publishing story or a book story or anything yet. It's a rough week for Amazon. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I just don't know that there's anything else to say about it. No, I, I don't either. I mean that Bezos, runs Amazon doesn't necessarily mean it's an Amazon story, I guess, whereas the Amazon story in New York is an Amazon story. Um, Bezos could resign tomorrow and Amazon could largely run up, run along its path or something like that. I, doesn't yeah, I guess either. maybe that's a question is like yeah. if it um, if anything comes out that rises to a place where the you know board of Amazon feels that having Bezos affiliated with them is no longer productive or good for the company, right. then, that would, then that would be something that, you know, who came in and what direction they took might become a story that's tied to what we're looking at on this show. But like a lot of folks sent texts and tweets and um, emails asking if we were going to talk about all of this. Mm-hmm. And I, this is kind of all I've got. Like it's yeah. humans, mo- humans doing human stuff. And then the added layer of government potential, like potential <laughs> government intervention and potential blackmail and whatever else. But um, that's all we've got so that's far. That's all we got. So there's our somewhat unsatisfying <laughs> coverage. <laughs> Even I feel unsatisfied by it, but I really don't want to do more than that, I have to say. Um, yeah. There's just, there's a lot, there's so much we don't know about that. And it's so personal um, that it's, it's really hard to know. All right, let's get, we've got, uh, Let's see. Where do you want to go next? Where do you want to go next? Where do I want to go next? Hmm. I think I want to talk about this Amazon, sorry, Audible Emerging well, Playwrights Commission. Sure. Since we're what still do you, in What do you want to say about it? Yeah, we're still in Amazon Quarter. Yeah. So we've been, or Amazon Corner. So we've been talking for years now about watching 
Audible conducting experiments in what kinds of original content they're offering there. And they've done a lot of things. Um, I can't remember if we've discussed this on the show in previous years, um, but Audible has a, an emerging playwrights commission where um, they, this is the second group, so it may have risen up to the agenda last year. But they've selected a group of theater playwrights that are going to receive $5 million total in funding from Audible's Emerging Playwrights Fund. Um, this started in 2017 to help create, um, to develop and produce new innovative works originally written in English that are driven by language and voice. The playwrights receive financial support from Audible as well as access to logistical and creative resources like workspace and dramaturgical expertise. And th the fund also drives the audio production of each commissioned work and for some of the plays, a live stage component. Um, then Audible has this content of plays mm -hmm. that they can put out on the platform. Um, I was kind of vaguely remembering, like I couldn't tell if it was actual memory or just deja vu of, did we talk about this last year? Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I've seen any of these come out on Audible, but it's in it's just interesting yeah. to me the directions that they go, like that people at Audible have had a meeting about content development. They're like, what can we do to get more original things? And that one of the things they came up with was find some playwrights with, you know, new voices and bring them in and give them money to help develop stuff. I, I don't know what to say about it other than I find it really interesting and have some questions about how it came about. Mm -hmm. um, three of the um, first class, three works by the first class are slated for release this spring. It's at the very bottom. So mm -hmm. they're going to come out. I will listen to this. Mo mostly, f listening to theater is not something that in a vacuum I would say I've signed me up for, but I, the execution I think is interesting here. The f first one, Proof of Love by um, Chissa Hudging Hush Hutchinson, is a live stage performance at the Manila, Manila Lane Theater, so live to tape, I guess. Um, the Evil, uh, Evil Eye by Madhuri Shakur and Life Ever After by Carlos Growls in June. So we're going to see some of these. Um, so... If we remember, we'll try to we'll try to mention it here, and maybe if you guys listen, any of you listen to that, we can talk about you know what this looks like. I know there's some theater people out there. Um, be curious what their take on this kind of commissioning, support, patronage, however you want to call Amazon through Audible, putting money to fund original works that are presumably paywalled. You know, not available to everyone, even at a... I, I'm not sure. I guess we'll find out. Could you buy these individually? Do you have to have an Audible membership? You know, because the Audible Originals, right, I believe... I don't know. Can you buy those? I guess you can just buy those separately. You don't have to have an Audible membership. It's getting, the Audible's um, benefits are a little cloudy now because some things are only available to people with subscriptions. Some things aren't, different pricing. It's got a little confusing, I have to say. But where these exist on the side of the membership paywall, I guess, I'll also find that very, very... Um, telling about what Audible is trying to do with these for themselves, in addition to supporting theater arts. Um, how about sponsor? Let's do our last sponsor. Yes. Got okay. a couple other stories to do. Our last sponsor this week is Zola. Zola is reinventing the wedding planning and registry experience to make the happiest moment in couples' lives even happier, combining compassionate customer service with modern tools and technology, all in the service of love. 
Zola is the easiest way to plan your wedding and register. They have free wedding websites, your dream wedding registry, affordable save the dates and invitations, and easy to use wedding planning tools. You can start with a free wedding website. It just takes a couple minutes to set up. You choose from over 100 beautiful designs that fit any style and every type of wedding. You put your Zola registry on your wedding website so guests can get all the details they need in one place, buy your wedding gift. It's super convenient. And the Zola store has the widest selection Selection of gifts at all different price points from over 500 brands. So there's something for every guest to give. Um, I got married in 2008, which was like the dark ages of the internet for, for how it is mm-hmm. now. Um, we had to go into actual stores and hold little scanner guns to create wedding registries. <laughs> um, you had to tell people you were registered at multiple places, and then they had to go to like the Crate and Barrel website or go into a Crate and Barrel store and search for your name and find your registry. And it was just more work than it is now. Um, And then there was a separate website to create a wedding website. And then somehow you had to make your save the dates and send them to people and tell them on that thing what your wedding website was. And so Zola is bringing all the pieces of wedding planning, all the technology and planning and registry stuff all together. It's super convenient. I have poked around the site. It's really easy to use. Um, If you are getting married soon or you're thinking about it, you can start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola. That's like a $50 gift card essentially to spend Mm. towards items on your registry. Go to Zola.com slash book riot that is z-o-l-a dot com slash book riot to set up your free wedding website and get 50 bucks off your registry today i think this story goes into the good job of the week or year however you want to put this um pile Mm -hmm. or you know accounting uh swansea university i don't even know how you i i think that's a swansea university over in the uk announces a decolonized english course so Students there were calling for a, their curriculum to be decolonized. Um, so, you know, basically fewer dead white male writers so that there's room and attention given to other voices, identities, and experiences. I'm not exactly sure what a module means, but there's a new module which will focus on books long listed each year for the International Dylan Thomas Prize, which is for writers under the age of 39. Um, it's, it's the UK's first course based on a contemporary book award. Which I think is really interesting. So the the writers um, will you know will be will be made available. Presumably they'll be paid to come talk to the classes about their work. Um, you know it's really interesting uh, to see what's going on here. Um, Swansea University sponsors the prize, so they have access. The prize is a significant one; it's thirty thousand pounds. So there's a lot of money involved. They also, I thought, very interesting at the bottom of this article, talk about students in the module will also be tutored by publishing professionals on subject from marketing to prize sales. Interesting. Aimed at fostering creative writing among young people so that the business side of publishing is part of the discussion of the works themselves and this effort to decolonize, which I think is a fascinating and very welcome uh, and needed part of the conversation uh, here that uh, would be, I, I think, is really fascinating. So it's, it's an interesting list. Frankly, I don't know a lot of the, the writers that were awarded the prize last year, um, but I'm going to be checking some of these out for sure. So as people are finding a way to respond, to think about things differently, I thought this was a fascinating way of making space, um, creating space, hosting space 
for these new efforts. I think so, too. Um, Nicholas Taylor Collins from Swansea notes that this is a this is a module inside a course. And so mm. the co- that the course is, quote, still full of long dead white male writers, because if you want to talk about decolonizing the canon, you need to know what the canon is. Yeah, um, and he says that's yeah, he says that is part of the discourse you have to go through to work out why something isn't, but should be canonical. And to do this, you need to look at and to know the canon. So I think students, it sounds to me like students are going to be, you know, reading a lot of the texts that we have thought of as canonical, and then being also introduced to these new voices from the Dylan Thomas Prize for a discussion about how might they fit into the canon? What does a reworking Mm. of the canon going forward look like? Um, I really appreciate that contextualization of let's take a look at what we've thought of as canonical voices and then look at new voices as well. Um, This reminded me my freshman year in college, my very first semester, I was an English minor and I signed up for, it was, you know, like intro to fiction or whatever it was, like uh, the reading of fiction, not the writing of it. And I didn't realize that I had signed up for what at the time they deemed the multicultural Mm. um, version of that course. So I got the syllabus and it was all books by people of color. And I had a wonderful experience and a really wonderful professor. We read Things Fall Apart. We read The Bluest Eye. We read Arundhati Roy. um, We read... Oh, I can't even remember now. A bunch of really great things. And at the same time, most of my friends were in Fiction 101, uh, the non-multicultural version, mm-hmm. reading like Pride and Prejudice and Jane Eyre. Um, and I've thought for for a really long time how grateful I am that I just like stumbled into that experience and had that reframing at the beginning of my college education. Um, it's cool to see it being done intentionally and in a full context here of look at the canon, look at where we want the canon mm. to go. Um, man, if any of y'all listening to this show happen to go to Swansea University, that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like a wild shot. But uh, if anyone does, we would love to hear about this course, about the experience, and if it develops into anything bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's podcast at bookriot.com. But man, more universities, please. Yeah. Again, I don't know enough about it to sort of thumbs up or thumbs down, but it does seem from the outside like a very thoughtful and um, impactful way of of doing it. Um, Hadn't seen anything done like that before. Let's do adaptation movie corner. There's a couple of stories that are related. Um, The trailer for one of your favorite books Mm -hmm. of all time is out. Uh, Hulu's Catch-22, which I feel like we've been talking about forever. Yes. Um, but things just take a long time. Uh, I guess that George Clooney is in, was behind. There's there's a lot of people. We got Kyle Chandler. We got Coach. Um, we've got Hugh Laurie, uh, uh, House, that you might know. And um, let's see. Uh, Clooney himself directs the first two episodes with Ellen Curris and Grant Heslov. Uh, directing the final four, so six episodes, and they all drop at the same time on May seventeenth. Um, did you watch the trailer? I did, and I did. I'm excited. Okay, I'm. I was worried I th- sure. when we first started talking about this catch twenty two. I think satire in general is like really mm. hard to capture on screen. Catch twenty two has this like zany, absurd tone. It's also a pretty old book. I didn't know how it would translate, but Clooney like does such a nice job in weird roles like this um, that watching the trailer, I was like, all right, okay. I don't mm-hmm. know how the whole thing is going to go down, but I feel like they have caught 
the the trailer makes me feel like they have caught the feeling um, of the book, um, at least in a way that I'm willing to jump in and see how right. it goes. I guess yeah. that's the that's the litmus test, right? Is like, are you? Does it make you? at least not less likely to watch the first episode and, and ideally more likely from a marketing mm -hmm. point of view. So it does. Like yeah. I'll say, um, when we talk about adaptations, I tend to be a person who like, if I'm going to watch an adaptation of a book that I love, I'm concerned about like the, the spirit and feeling of the book mm -hmm. coming through in the adaptation much more than the particulars. And it feels to me like this trailer has caught that at least. Um, so yeah. I'm assuming there will be differences in content, but we'll get there when we get there. The other, the other one of note, not really an adaptation because it's, you know, a life story, but um, the first trailer for Tolkien, which we've also known as coming, um, a biopic about J.R. Tolkien, who, as you know, wrote the Harry Potter series, right? That's mm -hmm. what he did. I'm, I'm um, familiar with no, it. I'm kidding. I'm it's a book about own. bobbins? Yeah, bobbins. It's bobbins. It's, well, more, more ancient lore in general, I would say, is what... Um, the, <laughs> I, can't, I can't keep this up. But, you know, wrote Lord of the Rings. Um, I know a little bit of his story... Look, I know everyone's going to be surprised that I'm interested in every backstory of an author who's created a work that's become part of the monoculture, right? Like, I, I'm interested in the backstories of authors that no one knows. I've just, you know, this is, my threshold for interest is extraordinarily low and may not have a southern meridian on this. But um, I know this story can be really, could be really interesting. Um, you know, World War I, um, a lot of the personal stuff, if you know about Tolkien's interest and experience, goes into the creation of Lord of the Rings. This could be very good. It also could be a nothing burger. Um, mm -hmm. I have to admit, I haven't watched the trailer yet because I'm a little nervous. I don't know. I haven't watched it yet either. Yeah. That's coming May 10th, which is a little bit of a weird... I weirdly, I kind of follow movie release dates in box office. It's something I get... Because I, I don't get the information in books. Whereas in movies, like it opened at this date and made this much money. We don't mm. get any of that <laughs> in books. So in, in movies, I find it very interesting how... Um, transparent, at least, you know, presumably a lot of this is. Um, May 10th is the height of summer movie season. And a literary biopic, even for Tolkien, I feel like be more of a fall release, like Oscar consideration for best screenplay or an award for someone or whatever. We'll see. Um, but I'm interested in this uh, to see where it goes from here. There's a lot more, there's a lot more stories you could tell about authors and their journeys. I've always wanted a really good Zora Neale Hurston one myself. Mm. Um, I think there's a whole bunch of these stories that would be fascinating to tell. Um, authors tend to live interesting lives. Um, and people like to know that where the thing they love came from. So that'll be interesting as well. Rebecca, tell us about a hero of the week and we're going to wrap this puppy up. You know, lovely Heroes of the Week. And to get the full story, you'll need to click the link in the show notes to watch the video because this is mostly a video-based story. But it's about a couple um, who live in India and they have already put 31,000 kilometers on their minivan. They are driving across India, carrying more than 500 books or poems around. Um, they talk about how access to books is much more limited than they think that it should be, how poetry particularly is a powerful and potentially life-changing reading experience, and they want to bring that to more people. And basically, they have created a bookmobile out of their minivan, and they are driving around giving away books of poetry, um, talking about love and life and how 
reading and especially poetry can give us solace. Um, it's a lovely short interview. It's less than five minutes or a little profile of them. It's definitely worth the time if you need five minutes of up, of uplift. Um, so they are our heroes of the week. That's our show. Big ups to them. Big ups to you for listening. Now we've recorded 300 episodes. Woo! As always, you can find the links to the stories we talked about, as well as our wonderful sponsors, bookriot.com slash listen. If you've got feedback for us, podcast at bookriot.com. I'd love to hear about, a, a, if you know, if you live in a city or you, you have um, knowledge about a city that you think would welcome Amazon tax breaks and all with open arms. I'd, I'd, I'm just curious. I think one, one suggestion was um, Denver. I heard that there was a groundswell of support there. Um, hmm. Fascinating to see. Rebecca, well done. Thank you so much. Thank you. Don't forget to go to bookriot.com slash business fingers to get your commemorative items. Yeah, link in the show notes there. Um, and if you happen to get something, take a picture and send it to us. We'd love to see it. If you're comfortable, we won't share it. We just would like to see you, your friendly faces with the business fingers. Uh, that makes me smile that people are going to be wearing business, having business. Fingers. Even just my, even if only our two laptops has business finger stickers on them, that is worth the whole thing. If I get to sit with my laptop in an airport and watch at least one person yeah. make a confused face reading this sticker, it will all be Here's worth the it. thing, though. You got to put on your laptop lid so that when it's open, it's not upside yes. down. That, that's, a, that's what we call a life hack. 301 next Full week. Full of wisdom. 301 next week, just for these kind of <laughs> okay. tidbits. Rebecca, talk to you later. Have a good one.